scripture today is taken from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. So Peter, talking about leadership in the church in his remarkable letter to Christians in the first century in Asia, Asia Minor, probably writing from Rome he was, uh, maybe, maybe around the time of his death, his martyrdom in Rome, we're not sure. Peter writes uh, some fitting guidance uh, about leadership, and actually it's very fitting for us we are embarking upon a membership campaign in the next few months this year. Actually, I'm taking a week of study leave starting tomorrow, and one of the focuses of my week, the major focus is to pray about and plan a membership seminar process for us. We're a new church, and, and it's time for us to start encouraging those of you who feel like you've made Deep Run Church your church home. You've made this your faith home. Uh, we want to start encouraging you to commit to Deep Run Church. And in our denomination, uh, an expression of faith to commit to Christ and to commit to his people is done through membership. And we'll talk about that as the membership seminar uh, develops in the coming months. The first major responsibility of the very first batch of Deep Run Church's members is perhaps the most important responsibility any group of members will ever have. Um, the first members of Deep Run Church will elect and non nominate Deep Run Church's first group of elders. And those men, along with me, will set the tone for this church for decades to come. Now let me ask you a question. What are some of the marks of a good leader? It may be from your experience in church or in religion, it may be your experience in, at work or in your home or in politics, just out in the world. What are, what are some of the marks of a good leader when you think of a good leader? What do you think? Listening and communicating. Okay, listening and communicating. What else? Being truthful about what they talk about. So truth, transparency, communication. Okay. Yeah. Truth as they communicate. Willingness as a leader to do what you're asking others to do. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 
Experience and wisdom is important for leadership. Okay, yeah. Decisive action. Okay, yeah. Knowing how to gainfully employ others. Is that, did I miss any of it? Okay, yeah, knowing, no, so whether you're an employer and you actually have to hire people or whether it's nonprofit and you're, you're working with volunteers, knowing how to gainfully employ and mobilize uh, people. Excellent, yeah, right here. Having an understanding of the big picture, the vision of what needs to be done. Okay, so a, a good mark of leadership is understanding the big picture, and you use the word vision. And I like that. Randy Pope is a pastor in our denomination, and I like what he says. Vision is like, is like deciding where you want to go on vacation. It's having a picture of where you want to end up. It's not the nuts and bolts of how you're going to get there, but the vision is this is what we're going to be. This is where we're going. This is, this, I, want, I want you to come with me. I want you to follow me. Good. Uh, any other comments about leadership? Yeah. Responsibility. Okay, yeah. You, you, you would hope that your leader would be responsible? Yeah. She says, obviously. Good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel. Service. To serve those you lead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So kind of an add-on to serving those you lead, advocating for those you lead. And, and that's something very specific. That's speaking for them. Uh, that That's... That's um, coming alongside of them and serving them in a way that they cannot serve themselves, which is what an advocate does. Really nice. Any others? Yeah. Humility and seeking guidance. A leader should seek guidance, and, and his humility will allow him to do that. Good. Being Bible-centered in their decision-making, you know, kind of living their lives with an open book. Yeah. Two, uh, two more. Being prayerfully dependent on God. Prayerfully dependent on God. Um, the importance of prayer in a leader's life. Okay. Prayerful dependence on God. One more. Did I? I thought. Yeah. The ability to speak the truth in love. Excellent. To be able to balance truth and grace. Um, yeah. Yeah, very good. Excellent. These are all great. Yeah, one more. Being patient. Yeah, being patient. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Now, I'm sure we have plenty to say about people who don't lead well. We. <laughs> I'm sure we have plenty to say about leaders, especially religious leaders and leaders within the church who, uh, who fall into hypocrisy, right? But, I want, but the question I have is, what about those who lead well? And that's what you were talking about. Um, what, are the, what are the qualities present in those who lead well? And as far as Christianity is concerned, what are the qualities present in those who, in Peter's words, are called to shepherd the flock of God that is under their care? A guy named Timothy Whitmer, uh, he used to teach up at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Tim Whitmer wrote a book, and our, whoever's going to be the first elders here, they're going to read this book, maybe even memorize it. Um, 
Tim Whitmer's book is called The Shepherd Leader. And in, in the, the, the premise of his book is, in the church, leaders should lead after the heart of God, whom David calls my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And Tim Whitmer says, uh, God, like a shepherd, leads his people in four basic ways. He knows them. He leads them. He feeds them through wisdom from the word. And then finally, he protects them. So to lead is to know the people you're leading, to lead them, to feed them, and to protect them. Now, Peter is saying in this passage that the most critical quality for a leader in the church to have in order to shepherd well is humility. Humble leaders, and by the way, humble followers, reflect God's, reflect God's grace in the darkness. And today we're going to learn from Peter how to be leaders, how to be followers, and why both are so important. How to lead in grace, how to follow in grace, and why both of those things need to be present in a healthy church. Okay? How should leaders lead? Peter says, humble yourselves. I'm going to keep bringing that back, that phrase in verse 6. Humble yourselves. He's talking to everybody in the church. Leaders must lead first by humbling themselves or being humbled if they're unwilling to. And Peter here demonstrates the kind of humility he's talking about. Whether he meant to do this or whether the Holy Spirit simply set this up and how he writes this, Peter demonstrates the humility. In verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, he's doing two things there. He first reminds them of his office as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's bringing, he's laying his credentials out. He's reminding them that there is a difference between him and them. He is a leader in a way that they are not. He is a leader in the way that no one since the 12 apostles has ever been. He saw the Lord Jesus. He saw the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was commissioned by Jesus as an apostle of the gospel of truth. So Peter is unique as a leader. And, and he does reveal that because he says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And at the same time, he also entreats them as his equals in Christ. Because he calls himself a fellow elder. And then he says he's a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is the living hope kept in heaven for you who are being shielded by God's promise until Jesus Christ comes, which is what Peter talked about in the very beginning, right? The basis of your identity as refugees in the world, you are new, you are chosen exiles, and your inheritance is kept in heaven for you, chapter 1. And what Peter is saying is, I share in the same inheritance as you. I'm an elder just as you are. And so although he was an apostle, he was also a fellow elder with them. And so a mark of humble leadership is this, finding common ground with those you lead. Exhibiting for those you lead that you are not above them, although your position may be higher. Carol Ruvalo wrote a really great little commentary on First and Second Peter. She says, humble church leaders don't stand in the spotlight. Instead, they stand behind it. 
and are sure that it stays focused on the team's common cause of giving God glory. Carol Ruvalo, she likens the church to a team. She says, look, look, on a championship sports team, you're going to have, you, you, you may have some bench warmers who, who are there if someone gets injured and they're ready to play. Uh, you may have a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James, some type of a star, and you may have an excellent coach. But if you're going to win a championship, if you're going to be successful to reach your goal as a team, everybody's got to work together. And even if somebody has greater abilities or has a, a, a more critical role, everyone needs to see that they are a team and they serve one another. And no one is too good and no one is too important. Teams work together, and she says the church is like a team. Now, if you're willing as a leader um, to live this way, right, to, find, to help those you lead see that you both share common ground, well, then people are more likely to follow you willingly. Not under coercion, but people will want to follow you. People will want to look at you as their example. And so Peter highlights the purpose of leadership. Here's the purpose of leadership. You ready? Being an example. Verse 3. He goes through a list of characteristics that you need to see in a leader of the church. And he finally says, being examples to the flock. The New Testament scholar D.A. Carson uh, once said, as he was teaching on church leadership in the New Testament, he said, what's so remarkable about the New Testament's requirements for elders. Now, there are a few big passages. Here's one by Peter. There are two big passages in Paul's writings. First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and Titus. Titus chapter 1. Uh, those are some big chapters on leadership in the church. And D.I. Carson said, what's so remarkable about the New Testament's requirement for elders is that they're totally unremarkable. Outside of, of being able to teach, outside of the role of, of the ability, the gift of being able to impart wisdom from God's word to other people, apart from that, read through the qualities in Paul's writing. Read what Peter's saying right here. There's nothing remarkable. You don't have to part the Red Sea. You don't have to speak in tongues and heal people. You don't have to be a miracle worker. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to run a successful business. According to Peter and to Paul, the leader is called to exemplify the Christian life. That's what a leader is called to do. Above all things, to exemplify, for, to, exemplify to Christians what it looks like to follow Christ. That's what you're looking for. You do not want a leader who feels obligated or forced to lead. Okay? You want somebody who feels called to lead. You don't want someone who is looking for control or for notoriety. You don't want someone who has to be in control, who has to be in charge in every situation that they're in, in every place, in every experience. You want someone who desires to serve. I think the biggest mistake the churches make in choosing their leaders is they choose men to lead them based on their success in the world. One of the biggest mistakes that churches can make is choosing men to lead because they have successful careers. Because of their degree, because they lead an organization, because they're successful in some way. The Bible says, no, the sign of a ready leader is an exemplary Christian lifestyle. 
That's the sign. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, Remember your leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So the mark of Christian leadership is Christ-like humility, whoever you are, whether you're leading in the church or leading in a Christian organization or in your family, the mark of Christian leadership is Christ-like humility. Now, what about those who are not leading but following? If you find yourself in a circumstance where you're not on leadership, you're, you're, you're a non-leader, right? Let's look at it that way. How do you follow How do you follow people that God calls to lead you? I'm going to use the same words. Humble yourselves, Peter says in verse 6. In verse 5, Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That phrase, you who are younger, I know in in, in the the old NIV translation, it says young men. The The best way to interpret this phrase is everybody else. Likewise, everybody else in the church, not not just men or young men, not just young people, uh, but everybody else, uh, be subject to the elders. And that verb, be subject, he's used it already several times. He's He's told all Christians as citizens in society to submit themselves to the public authorities, to the pagan authorities, even if they're unjust. Uh, He's told Christians in their culture who find themselves in a position of slavery uh, to to respect their masters. He tells wives and husbands to submit to one another, to honor one another. And so Peter's honorable living code, in all circumstances, honor one another, live honorable lives. That code also applies to relationships within the church. Christian to Christian, um, elder to flock, flock to elder. The same concept. The faith community is not only a light in living honorably out in the world, but but the faith community is a light in how we honor one another. Now, you may be saying, because I've heard this before, nowhere does the Bible say, Brian, thou shalt become a member of a local church. You show me in Scripture where it says that. Until you do, I'm going to remain unaffiliated. But the Bible, it's true. You're not, I'm not quoting any passage of Scripture, but the Bible does say again and again to submit to the authority of some, some local church body. Um, you can read it all over the New Testament. Again, I'll look at Hebrews chapter 13 with you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. See, the leaders are submitting to somebody else, aren't they? They will, they will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So membership, at least the way our church will look at it, membership, it, it's not like getting into a country club. Okay? Uh, it's, it's not like uh, flying your one millionth mile in the sky with Southwest. Membership is a tangible expression of mutual submission. Membership gives us a tangible way to say to one another, we will submit to one another under the authority of Jesus Christ. 
We will not be loners. We will not do this Christian faith thing on our own, being unconnected, being unaccountable to other people. Now, how do you nurture a culture like that? How do you nurture a culture of humility? Well, Peter impresses upon us that we must put off our pride. He says in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you. He's not just talking to leaders. He's not just talking to followers. He's saying this to everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now, how do you do that? How do you clothe yourself with humility? Well, I would suggest that you have to disrobe yourself of your old garment. You see this language in the New Testament of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Paul talks about that a lot. Well, Peter's talking about that right here. You have to disrobe yourself of your old garments that are woven with pride if you're going to put on a new garment of humility. I want to be careful here, but are you, are you concerned about this pride concept? Do you think you're not very prideful? Does that bother you when somebody says, hey, are you, are you prideful? Check your pride. Be aware of your pride. Um, C.S. Lewis said, if you don't think you're conceited, it's a sign that you are very conceited indeed. Let me ask you another question, okay? If you don't like the pride idea, let's back away from that for a second. Let me ask you another question. Are you anxious? When you think of submitting to leadership, I know the government's going to make you submit. They have the police and the military and the IRS that will make life very uncomfortable if you don't submit, okay? We think that Christians are suckers, and so we can come in and out of churches and not really submit to anybody. We'll just read the Bible and pray and come and go as we please. We don't have to submit in church because Christians are just supposed to forgive each other. I I don't believe that. I'm just kind of... what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to summarize a, um, an objecting perspective. But are you anxious about submitting to church leadership, to any church leadership? Has that been a problem for you in the past? Maybe you've seen ugly things happen um, in churches by leaders, and so you're not interested in submitting ever, ever again. Well, look at verses 6 and 7. Peter says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If releasing your anxieties to God is the evidence of humbling yourself, then I would suggest to you that holding on to your anxiety is evidence of remaining prideful. Even if you've been hurt, even if you've been abused by leadership, Hanging on to your anxieties, being unwilling to release your anxieties to God is a sign that you are remaining prideful. Carol Ruvalo says that pride is the root of anxiety. And I think Peter's touching on that here. Pride refuses to trust in God's, what are the words he uses? Mighty, caring hand. And if we're unwilling to trust in God's mighty and caring hand, well, that means we're going to trust in ourselves. And if in fear you are only willing to trust in yourself, well, that, what does that mean? Now you have to lead yourself. Now you have to protect yourself. Now you have to feed yourself. 
I know it's difficult to submit to unjust authority. That's, what, that's the tension Peter's been addressing throughout the entire letter. We've been having difficult, difficult conversations about this every Sunday because this is difficult content. I know it's hard to submit to leaders who are unjust and leaders who are incompetent. But honestly, don't we have a hard time submitting to the competent leaders in our lives? Don't we have a hard time submitting to even leaders who are just and fair and in good conscience trying to do well? Don't we object to their authority as well? It is an American concept to think that we cannot afford to be humble. Because if we are humble, if we submit ourselves, somebody will take advantage of us. Some other bird will get the worm before we do. Somebody will get that position before we do if we do not take a stand and fight for what we have. If we don't protect ourselves, no one will protect us. We're afraid of being manipulated. We're afraid of being taken advantage of. We are afraid of being overlooked or being seen as mediocre or being hurt again. But Peter says... What we really can't afford to be is proud. We think we can't afford to be humble, but I'm telling you, you cannot afford to be proud. Why? Because he goes on to say that God opposes the proud. Can you imagine the creator of the universe saying to you, I am against you. I am against you because of your pride. That is something that you will not be able to negotiate your way out of. Now or ever. Pride hurts the church. Just like pride hurts a relationship. Just as pride hurts a family. Pride hurts the church. Pride dims our light in a world that lacks, no, that, that, that lacks a good alternative to pride. That's, pride is the way the world works. And unless Christians are willing to submit to one another in humility, there is no light. But leading and following in humility is actually the way of grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so following in humility, as well as leading in humility, is the way of grace. Because it was Jesus' way. It's that simple. On the night that he was betrayed, at that last supper... The Gospel of John, John chapter 13, tells us that at one point after the meal, Jesus took off his outer garments and he took a servant's towel and he tied it around his waist. And then he got down on his hands and knees and with that servant's towel, uh, he began washing his disciples' feet. And that, that was something that only a servant would do. If you went to a dinner party, you know, the, the invisible hired staff, the help, they, they were all over the place making the event happen, right? washing your feet when you came in the door. And here is their rabbi. Here is their master and their Lord, who they by now believed was the Messiah washing their feet. And they responded to it quite awkwardly. Peter actually was indignant. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet, Lord. Peter was not yet a humble man. And Jesus responded to him like this, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. To receive God's grace, you have to let him serve you. Have you ever thought of it that way? 
To receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and be reconciled to your creator, you have to let God serve you. There is no other way. If you're unwilling to let God serve you, you are hanging on, even if a small, in a small way, you are hanging on to some form of your pride. Pride is unwillingness to let God serve you. Jesus said to his disciples, to, to many people earlier than this, and we read this earlier today, come to me. Who? Those of you who are strong, living a successful life, not in need of anything. Those of you who are doing great and enjoying yourselves, come to me. No, he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And come to me, those of you who are bearing loads that you know you cannot carry on your own. And he says to them, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's why he's inviting. That, that's what's so bright about true Christianity is that Jesus was a humble man. That's what makes him approachable. All the qualities you mentioned at the beginning of, of, of this message, when I asked you, what are some good leadership traits? Everything you said, everything you said is Jesus. There is not a single person in this room. None of us emulate perfectly all of the qualities that you just shared. And yet Jesus did, and Jesus does, a gentle man, a man who is humble in his spirit. Being fully God, but not trying to prove his divinity while he was with us. Yeah, I, as a father, my children know my sin better than, than anybody except for my wife. Um, and, and, you know, my wife is with the kids every day, all day long for like 16 years now. If I'm home for a day by myself without her, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm drowning. I, 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 I just, I am not that effective, okay? And why am I sharing this right now? There, I'm looking at my notes going, how does this relate to what I'm trying to say? Ah, uh, humility, thank you, thank you. I knew, I knew it was somewhere. When I see, oh, this, is, this was my point. Now I remember. I'm having a rough day. This was my point. I struggle being a dad in just one day, in just less than 24 hours. Jesus put up with us for 33 years. Jesus was God. And Philippians chapter 2 says that though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that didn't mean he had a complex that he wasn't divine. It meant that he didn't try and prove himself while he was here. But for 33 years, he put up with us humbly and gently. And that's what we need in a leader. Praise God that the chief shepherd, Peter calls him, was a humble man. Only humility could separate a king from his throne in order to serve a sentence for criminals. Only humility does that. Not somebody with a self-serving agenda, but a selfless serving agenda. So Christ's humility brought you grace. Now in humility, receive it. The sign of grace is, a, the sign that you have grace is your willingness to let Jesus serve you. And he says, cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. That's why he can say, come to me with your burdens. Because I care for you. And I'm worthy of taking that burden off of you. And if you can submit to this chief shepherd. 
If we can submit to Jesus, then we can lead and we can follow without fear. If we can submit to him, we don't have to be afraid of leadership. Whether you have to lead or whether you're called to follow. Humble leaders and humble followers reflect the grace of God in a dark world. And so as chosen exiles, Christians can bring a refreshing perspective of God's grace in a world that that will not see this type of interaction between people at work and in government and in community conflicts. We don't see this we don't see this humility, but as we begin to reflect the nature of our Savior, we become, as a community, as a church community, we become a light. So Peter's talked about being respectful to the civil authorities, even if we don't like them, and even if we think they're godless. He says if we're in positions where we feel like we're being treated unjustly and being oppressed still to show honor and respect, that in family dynamics, we should honor one another, and finally, he says, as, as a church, as a body of Christians, we are to submit to one another. We are all to clothe ourselves in humility so that whether you're a leader or whether you're nominating your leaders, your first leaders, or whether you are called not as a leader, but you are called to follow and respect others. Either way, clothe yourselves with humility. And as chosen exiles, this as a community, this brings light. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that Jesus was a humble man. Thank you that in humility he obeyed you and in humility he walked to the cross. Thank you that in humility he loved and served us. Now in his name, help us to love you back and to serve one another. Amen.